Welcome to the IASA Podcast Network. I am Rich Voltz, the Associate Director with the Illinois Association of School Administrators. Today our guest is Larry Frank, IEA Research Specialist. The topic of this podcast is Developing Positive Union Superintendent Relations. Good morning, Larry. Please tell our listeners about yourself, your current position with IEA, and your role with the Performance Evaluation Advisory Committee. Morning, Rich. I'll do that. Um, I, I came to this work about 30 years ago as I finished a doctorate at uh, ISU. Uh, some of you may remember uh, Al Hickrod and his, his Center for the Study of Educational Finance, and I came through uh, that, uh, did doctoral work and postdoctoral work with Alan. Um and got hired uh, as a new fresh PhD uh, by a group of school districts who was suing the state or who were suing the state. The, uh, uh, and that work lasted about two years, super interesting. Um, but it did mean fundraising to pay my salary. So I had a chance to move to the IEA. Uh, it was interesting. I was working with a lot of superintendents. The way I learned district finance was, uh, uh laptop computers had just come out. Um, and uh, most of the schools we worked with were, were very much underfunded, uh, low local property wealth districts. Uh, and I had a laptop. So the way I learned school finance is I started building budgets for the superintendents because I had a laptop and, and a uh, at that time, Lotus 1, 2, 3. And so I'd build the district budgets uh, and, and uh, we could experiment and do a little modeling to see what would happen with various uh, revenue models and, and, uh, boy, that was a postdoctoral sort of training, like, like none other I could have gotten. So, uh, when I took the job at the IEA, uh, the superintendents, uh, certainly felt that I'd gone over to the dark side, but, uh, it, it's been an interesting journey. Uh, currently I've, uh, moved from, uh, doing, uh, pretty much all research, uh, and a lot of, a lot of work around uh, bargaining preparation more into the educational policy world. Uh, my co-chair, PIAC, the Performance Evaluation Advisory Council, uh, which you sit on, and which I think we've uh, we, we just had really terrific results by bringing a, a mixed group of stakeholders to the table and, and talking about issues around evaluation. It's been a lot of fun. This looks pretty nice. You and I have been members of the Performance Evaluation Committee for several years. We have collaborated on a number of initiatives, including the latest initiative, that was the development of the teacher evaluation initial training. Explain for our listeners the relationship between the teacher unions, administrators, teachers, and regional office members around the PIAC topics we have worked on. I think to me the, the truly fascinating thing about PIAC is that uh, people who are there, and, and really the players, uh, there are several uh, school superintendents uh, on, on that group, um, we have some of the outside um, sort of reform groups, Advance Illinois, Stand for Children, are at the table. Uh, both teacher unions, the uh, Federation of Teachers, and the Illinois Education Association, uh, IASA is represented, the Principals Association is represented, um, the School Board Association is there, and it's, it's just a, a fascinating group. IARSS uh, is at the table. Um, the thing to me that has been really pretty gratifying is that all of us have over time pretty much been willing to sort of check our organizational hats at the door and, and really concentrate on uh, how do we 
make this evaluation system work for kids by making it work for teachers. Um, it, it's really fun to listen to the conversations in the group um, as we've talked about moving into a, a face-to-face kind of initial pre-qualification training. Uh, the, the whole conversation has been around how do we have uh, constructive and supportive conversations that help teachers perfect their craft because we're all in it to, to help uh, teachers help kids. Um, it, it's been really healthy, I think, to watch. And, and I think uh, a lot of people around the table uh, wish that we could we could export that sort of cooperation and uh, collaboration groupthink in, into other areas of the work that we do. And uh, with luck, uh, we, we'll, we'll see if we can't do that moving forward, too. Yeah, that would be my hope as well, that we have gotten along so well. And I don't think anybody even thinks about really the constituents they're representing. They're thinking about what's best for uh, children and, and K-12 public education in general. Obviously, I'm not in the chair of a school superintendent anymore, but I certainly remember the pressures on school superintendents in regard to issues dealing with teacher unions. What advice would you have for superintendents today concerning developing positive relationships with teacher unions? Um, I give the same advice to superintendents that I give to our folks uh, in the field, and that is get to know each other. Um, A lot of my work over the years has been going in and doing quick and dirty audits of school districts uh, in, in bargaining preparation for our locals. Uh, and look, there's we have no interest in working for an employer who's broke or in driving an employer into, into insolvency. And so uh, a lot of my work has been sort of that gut check that says, look, I understand you'd like a 10% raise, but that might be a little bit of a reach for everybody this time around. The the point, though, is that in a lot of cases, the only time our members talk to the district about money is around bargaining. And so we get to bargaining. Both sides come to the table with a lot of apprehension. They haven't learned to talk about money in sort of a valueless way. And, and, and it, it, it makes bargaining really difficult. In a few of our locals, we've been successful at talking to our people and, and uh, through them talking to the district administrators who by the way, seem uh, pretty open to this notion. And that is, why don't you talk about money in the off years? You know, when the district gets the budget built, maybe that's a good time to sit down and talk about uh, what you're trying to do for the year. Or even, I I know we have a handful of districts where there are teachers uh, without a vote, of course, but on the budget committee. And and so you you talk early on about uh, what resources do we think are going to be available uh, how, how's the best way to deploy those for kids? Um, and once the annual financial report is done, it's another great chance to sit down and, and talk to, uh, for both sides to have a conversation about, okay, how'd the year uh, work out? And I think our people learn then that um, a budget is a lovely document and it survives about until first contact with reality. And, and then things are going to happen, and we're off spending money differently than we had planned. And, and that's a challenge for, uh, for administrators. Um, but I think if our, as our folks start to understand that, they're much more willing, willing to uh, sort of roll with the punches. I, that also leads, I think, at least in some cases, into a bargaining process that just sort of doesn't end. Our best functioning locals uh, 
ironically, and I, I have to admit, I changed my view on this. When I came to this work, of course, everybody said, you know, you, you put a contract in place and then the job of the union is to defend the contract and move ahead. Um, what I've learned over time is that in our locals that are uh, real high functioning locals that, that do a very good job of working uh, for the good of the kids, the bargaining sort of is a continuous process, right? The, the two sides are meeting all the time. They're talking about all of the issues. They're moving forward and they're solving problems as they come up. They aren't just saying, well, we'll put those in a parking lot. And when the contract runs out in four years, we'll get back to it. You know, those sort of problems fester and, and cause real uh, tough issues in bargaining down the road. So as you, as you start to deal with them on an ongoing basis, I think you just develop that working relationship. Uh, much as you and I have over years. I, I remember a summer when we probably spent 12 to 15 hours a week arguing about the Part 50 rules. And, and I'm still not sure either one of us <laughs> is happy with how some of that turned out. But it, it was a great process. We uh, we, we learned to understand the, the viewpoint of the other person and, and try to come to a sort of middle ground around what was, in fact, best for teachers and kids and, and administrators. I mean, we, we had all the voices in the room. So I think uh, in general, you know, how do you get along with the teacher unions? It, it's just a get to know each other and have a, a good open conversation about the issues inside the district. Yeah, your response to this last question reminds me early in my superintendent's career, we came into negotiations and, and the teacher team listed about 25 uh you know, contract items that were not monetary that they put on the table. And I look at the list and like 23 of the 25, if I would have even known about it, I could have solved them. So from that point forward, I said, that's never going to happen to me again, where the uh, teachers are going to show the Board of Education some things we should have taken care of before we ever got to this point. So then I started a process of putting a, a teacher union president at my cabinet table. So when the cabinet met on a biweekly basis, uh, the the union president sat at the table. And I have to tell you, originally when I did that, uh, the administrators, the cabinet consisted of like central office administrators and principals. And uh, when I first suggested we were going to do that, they said they were scared about it. I said, no way, we're not going to be able to talk openly about things. You know, we can't really say what we mean. And I said, what do you mean you can't say what you mean? I mean, these are these people are in the same business that we're in. And so we should be able to talk about the, the items that we're going to be doing. And I tell you, it worked out fantastically. The union presidents would um, only offer their really opinions and suggestions really when they were asked. I mean, they just didn't throw them out. And then oftentimes we'd come up with a crazy harebrained idea and they'd say, well, I don't think that's going to work. And we would quickly dump that, you know. So I totally agree with you. This idea of, of meeting on an ongoing basis is a big part of the trust relationship that happens to happen between superintendents and teachers. I, one of the other pieces of work I've done a lot over the years is surveys of our members prior to bargaining to, to say what issues are important. And what I've found is that when you ask an entire local what you know that question, you end up with kind of three buckets of stuff. There are a few items that really ought to go to the bargaining table. There are some items that are the 23 you discovered that really are labor management issues. They, they may even already be covered in the contract, you know, but, uh, uh, well, there's a separate bucket that's already covered in the contract and they're really just educational items, you know, and you, we say to our folks, well, 
you realize that's you dealt with that a couple of years ago, and it's just now going back to the district and saying, "Look, how do we deal with it?" And and then there are those issues that, boy, if you if both sides know about them, of course they're going to be taken care of. Um, another extension of that work, and I know uh, when the five essentials was first rolled out, it it wasn't received well. Uh, statewide for a variety of reasons, not the least of which uh, was some of the questions were pretty Chicago-centric. The notion of of a district that runs buses all over saying, do you feel safe when you walk home to a kid is is just that one didn't work. Um, But we've done some work in in many of our districts around those five essential questions. And it's another great piece to take into a labor management discussion. You know, not that the questions get at everything, but you can get a pretty good idea of an area of disagreement um, as you start looking. And, and you know, you, you find one, I'll find one uh, uh, often where, you know, the administrators say, well, everything's going along just fine. And the teachers are saying, oh, this is terrible or, or the opposite. And if the two sides just sit down and talk and say, what, 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 we think this is great. What do you not like about it? It's fascinating to watch how quickly those problems tend to be solved. Mm-hmm. They're really a good, good way to operate, I think. Yeah, and uh, administrators weren't so happy with that five essentials either. And, no. And as we were getting into that, um, I know I was consulting with school districts at that time, and I said, look, there's a great truth in this information here. I mean, you might not like to hear it, but it's coming here, and and you need to address whatever these issues are because the, there's some truth in it. People aren't just lying on these uh, questions. In my past experiences dealing with you and other IEA personnel, I've had mostly positive experiences, especially with the relationship you and I have developed over, over the years. What if a superintendent had a negative experience with an IEA or IFT consultant? What would you recommend that the superintendent could do? I think the first step is is uh, the same thing basically that we talked about with the union leadership, and that's just to sit down and have a conversation. Uh, I, I think a lot of times, uh, again, if I look at a local where things are functioning well, uh, our field person, in our case, a Uniserve director, uh, and the superintendent have developed a pretty good relationship, actually gotten to know each other. And, and so there are sort of two levels to that union cooperation where it really works. One is the, the superintendent talking to the our Uniserve director or, or in the IFT world, the, uh, the field services person, and, and just talking the problem out. It's, um, I think it's not unlike the work that you do with your district uh, attorney. You know, it, it's somebody outside who's coming in as a rep, who's sort of the hired gun. And I know occasionally I'll, I'll watch in bargaining where an attorney will take off down the wrong path and, and we have to call a timeout. And it's it's not that the attorney is, is wrong or is doing something terrible. It's just that they don't understand sort of what's going on inside that local. And I think sometimes our folks have that same problem. So I'd I'd certainly recommend just getting to know each other, have a conversation, and uh, I, I think in general that works the problem out. I, I would say, you know, there are probably 5% of the folks on Both in this business who just are going to have a chip on their shoulder, and sometimes it's tougher than others. As you know, I write a blog column for school superintendents, and I find that when I talk to union management and consultants about my opinions – 
they're often surprised by my opinions, especially the opinions I write in my blog, like they didn't even realize that would be something that I would feel about. I attribute this to us not knowing each other again well enough, the same thing we're talking about here. So what suggestions do you have to bridge this gap for school superintendents? Like what can we do to uh, get to know whether it's the union leaders better or the uh, UNISERV directors or whoever? How, how do we get to do that? Do we take them to lunch? Do we do, we do it over coffee? Just how, what are some suggestions you might have? I think there are kind of two pieces to that, that developing a really good working relationship and sort of bridging gap of understanding. One is really just a personal relationship. So yeah, having lunch, going to coffee, just sort of getting to know each other, uh, I, I think makes a big difference because I know for me, uh, where I, I have some kind of personal relationship, um, with a superintendent or the management attorney, um, uh, it's not that it's harder to have a difficult conversation with them when I don't know them. I mean, we, we do that, but um, if, if you know each other and understand that you're all working toward the common good of the kids, it, it just is a lot easier to open up and, and you don't feel like um, your views are necessarily going to be uh, taken as, as in my case, just the union line. You know, we understand that we're all, all trying to do it for the children. And I think the other, the other level of that is sort of the district operations level. Um, and so things like opening up, uh, as you did with, with bringing people into the cabinet. Uh, so the union sort of realizes what issues the district is trying to deal with on an ongoing basis, uh, are really healthy. I know some of our locals, uh, the superintendent, the Uniserve director, uh, even well, sometimes the the entire cabinet and the UD and the president, our local president, will sit down weekly for an hour or two and and just talk about how's it going. You know, we had this issue a couple of weeks ago. Here's what we've done. Is that helping? And and just I, I think if if you recruit teachers um, into helping with what you recognize as district challenges, uh, the whole operation becomes a lot more smooth. And I, I think sometimes our folks get frustrated because they, they see everything as coming from top down. And even if it's a good suggestion, they're so tired of being given directions without having had any input that they'll resist it. So I, 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 again, I, what I see with our teachers is if in districts where uh, there's been an open conversation and the, and the teachers begin to understand the problems, the challenges of the district, in those cases, uh, they'll they'll go a lot farther in working with the district than, than they do if they're not involved. In my career, I've had great collective bargaining experience and also some not so great collective bargaining <laughs> experiences. Obviously, it is easier to bargain when there's money available. How can superintendents best communicate the financial condition of the school district to the district's teachers? I think in a lot of cases, my observation has been that the problem with the superintendent communicating the district's finances to teachers is, uh, again, it only happens during bargaining. And the teachers immediately assume that they're getting some sort of song and dance to explain why there isn't any money and, and why they have to be careful of the, what they ask for. Um, 
And quite honestly, it, it's interesting. I, I uh, keep a lot of records over time, and uh, it it's sometimes if if we've had a long run of a superintendent who only wants to talk about money during bargaining, I can go back and look at the set of uh, charts and projections that the district did for the last contract, and and it it showed that within the first two years, the district would be in deficit spending. And then I bring out what I've got, you know, when I look this time and you realize that fund balances have actually increased a little bit, the district's in, in better shape, but we get basically the same projection that we got the last time. So a uh, couple of, I think, really um, quick sort of fixes. One is to ask the union to have one of our people come in and talk to them about the money because my experience is that uh, when I go in or when uh, Erica Lindley now who works with us uh, goes in and does one of these analyses, when we sit down with the district and, and just sort of open up our model and look at their model, if we make the same assumptions, then we get the same answer moving forward. And so the bargaining by and large today, as people are hiring uh, PMA and other consultants who are, are doing this sort of projection into the future, the bargaining almost becomes around bargaining the um, notion of future revenue and, and not really so much, you know, what money is on the table. We've, we've all moved past that. But I, I think uh, if you ask the union to bring in their person to do a financial analysis, you'll often get the same answer. If you don't, it, it's probably time uh, to try to sit down together. I know uh, in my work with districts, uh, it's not unusual if we're, we're really butting heads over money. Uh, the district will agree to let me come in and we just lay out the model and have a conversation. And I'll say, look, I'll, I'm going to take off my advocacy hat and just lay out the numbers that I've got. And here's what I see. And often what we discover is we aren't that far apart. We just weren't really communicating somehow uh, between our teachers and and the administrators. And to be fair, another part of that is that our folks came into the job to teach, not to become school finance experts. And so sometimes uh, some of our teachers have done very well. They've really learned about finance. They're, they're good at looking at an annual financial report and, and interpreting that. Uh, but that's probably the exception rather than the rule. So one of the things I know that we've tried to do in the IEA over time is, is to build a level of trust and say, you know, uh, well, I, one of my favorites is always to say, uh, if you were in the superintendent's chair, you know, what would you do? Well, I'd be much more conservative. Well, then you shouldn't be surprised at the bargaining table, right? And it, I mean, I can come in and make a projection and say, well, if the district does this, everything's going to be okay, but I'm not responsible if it doesn't work out the way my finance model suggested it would. So it's, it's just really, again, I think learning uh, what the other person's view is, uh, uh, kind of what the responsibilities are at that bargaining table. And uh, I think we've been pretty successful over time in in starting to bridge that gap in districts where we've been willing to sit down and, and uh, sort of open up the models to each other and have a conversation about what we're thinking. Yeah, as a veteran uh, school administrator and superintendent, <clears throat> I would definitely agree that, there's first of all, this is all public information anyway. So 
um, absent the idea of pr- projecting maybe future revenue, um, we really ought to have the same numbers. Uh, projecting future revenue is a crap game for everybody to do. But if you can get into general parameters, even about future revenue, you should come up with the same numbers. And and again, it goes back to this communication that we've been talking about during this podcast, this idea that the uh, administration, that the cabinet, the superintendent, the district office should be inviting the an expert from IEA such as yourself to come in and provide that information so we can get on the same page, you know, even before we sit down to negotiations so that it doesn't become a, an issue later on. And it's not just the money. It's also those other items like I talked about earlier. If I could have solved 23 out of 25, why the heck are we sitting here talking about 25 things? We should only be talking about the two things I can't solve. So um, this whole idea of communication between superintendent and and union leadership and, and the union in general, I think, needs to be a collaborative effort. And I just know as a veteran, I'm, I'm much more open to that today than I ever was when I was a, the first day I was a school superintendent, because you learn that that's the way you're going to make headway on these issues, is by cooperating and being fully transparent on everything you do. Well, I'd like to thank you, Larry, for participating in our IASA podcast network, and uh, look forward to meeting and working with you again as we continue our work on the PIAC Council. Sounds good, Rich. I'll see you at that meeting on Friday. 